Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine, where your hosts, Mark and Kim, and every week we bring you features of current events and trending topics from the world of wine, things that interest us and things that we want to bring to your attention. How are you today, Mark? Good, Kim. How are you? I'm well, thank you very much. It's always great to talk wine with our listeners, and we always have a lot of material to cover. There's always a lot of things going on from all over the world. That's one of the uh, one of the things that we find the most intriguing about wine is that we have stories from Europe and stories from California and stories from other parts of the world as well. And we like to keep up to date on what is going on by doing a lot of our own Google searches. So I know every week you look for some things that are a little bit off the beaten path, Mark. And uh, what have you been recently Googling? This week, Kim, was another wine certification or seal that we, we had seen, and, and actually we did a tasting using it, but it was something called the Woolly Weeders, W-E-E-D-E-S, Woolly Weeders. And we saw a wine, and on the back of it had a little sheep. So we were like, what the heck is this, right? So we had to Google it, and the Woolly Weeders are actually just vineyards that use sheep or goats in their vineyards to clean up the weeds. That's awesome. So you see a lot of this. They're using it as a little selling thing, but I guess you have to research it because I didn't know what the little sheep meant on the, on the label. No, so, I wouldn't either. So it controls growth in the vineyards, and we actually saw a little video about the farmer calls someone in, and they let him go, and it mows down the weeds naturally without uh, hurting. I guess at certain stages, they don't eat the grapes, so it's it's pretty interesting thing. Well, that's excellent. You know, we are seeing a lot of sort of more attention being paid to ways to keep your vineyard management healthy without using pesticides or herbicides in this case if it's for the plants so integrating some critters like goats and sheep sounds pretty smart i know there's a lot of places that will use other animals to control pest populations too i know we had an article about bats in bordeaux and uh, we see a lot of yeah birds and other insects that will eat the the bad insects so yeah this is uh this is something new yeah something new (laughs) and it it falls under the under the umbrella of uh, integrated pest management i believe is what they call what they call it. I actually sh- I saw a shark tank where the gentleman was trying to sell goats to eat people's poison ivy. Yes. So I can see where this works in the vineyards. And as there well. are there are a few uh, of those folks around here uh, in our local area that uh, that will help landscape your yards goats. using goats. I would love to have some goats eat my poison ivy. Frankly. What about you, Kim? What did you research this week? So I started some research for an event that I'm doing in a couple of weeks. I have a group who wants to do a wine tasting of wines that feature either female owners of the vineyards or owners of the winery or women winemakers. So I've been doing some research on that and I found a lot of stuff and I'm sort of overwhelmed by wonderful wine ideas and it's going to be really hard for me to uh, narrow it down to six. Yeah, I recently met a winemaker who puts his wife's name on his label just because he sees a need for that to Mm. get the word out that there's a woman behind the label. Mm -hmm. So good luck finding a lot of stuff. There's 
lot of women celebrities behind labels you could look up. Yeah, I didn't want those though. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wanted like, you know, real people getting their hands dirty and, and doing the work. So there's, um, yeah, I've got some ideas from wineries all over the world. So it's, uh, it's very exciting. So the first article that we wanted to talk to you about today is from the London Wine Fair that was recently held in England. And the topic is four things that wine consumers care about. And we do touch on this topic from time to time as we try to stay ahead of the trends and figure out what is the consumer really looking for? What can we do better that will help us communicate better with people and, and give consumers what they're really looking for? So there, there's sort of this modern, modern ideas of what, what consumers are looking for. And it's, it's it's different from how it has been in the past, isn't it, Mark? Yeah. I mean, being in the wine industry, we have to find something that says this is what's trending or this is what people want to keep up with the trends, right? So in, we always laugh. Can we, we talk with our listeners? It's another one of those four things, five things, 10 things. We always find these type of articles. But there were four here. I think we probably touched base at some point in the past. So I guess they're still trending. The first was personalization of wine. Right. And how did you interpret that? So I interpreted this as making the experience of choosing wine, selecting wine, individualized to that particular consumer. But they kind of took this a step farther than just you go into a wine store and there's someone that you can speak to and then they will give you recommendations based on either what you've liked in the past or how you describe the wines that you like. This is more individualization relying on databases, computer algorithms, even something as specific as as DNA tests to determine what your particular profile is as far as what you like. So just getting more detailed. I recently saw where they said people avoid purchasing online consumers because they want this personalization. They want the human interaction. But I think this has taken it to the next level. It's not only recommendations, but recommendations based on DNA, based on profiling more. scientific profiling. So I I think they're doing a lot of studies to figure out how to get this down. I mean, we talked about recently, there was another product that came out. They're going after a generation who watched Harry Potter. So they're naming it magic theme and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So people are following this, but personalizing it is tough. I mean, I think just being able to say what you like and someone to understand that is the best way to be personalized in the wine world to me. Yeah, I don't know exactly how to interpret this because I talk to a lot of people, a lot of wine consumers, a lot of wine drinkers. And I can't say that this is really a topic that is in people's mind as far as what they're looking for. I I get the idea of that they're looking for wine recommendations that are personalized to themselves, but I don't necessarily feel like people think that that is something that a computer program can figure out. And I certainly have not spoken to a lot of people who are interested in having their DNA tested to figure out their tastes are. I think it's more likely that people are, you know, taking those silly quizzes on Facebook, like if you like like this type of chocolate, then you will like this type of wine, like that kind of a thing. Yeah, I like that people are trying to be more specific on getting more information. It may lead to the, it's, there's going to be another level of consumer. They're, they're looking for more information to get more information back too. So I like the trend. Yeah. I like it's okay. more personable. What was the second one? Um, it, this is something that's been trending for a while. And I think that this is applicable not just to wine, but to other things as well. And that's that people are looking to spend their money more on experiences and less on 
stuff, less on physical things. And we, we sort of see this topic come up every year during the holidays when we're, you know, online shopping and trying to think of ideas to buy our loved ones for holiday gifts. And this th idea that spend your money on an experience where you can all do things together or learn a new thing or instead of just buying stuff that will then accumulate around your house. And I think that wine sort of fits this bill because the act of either going out to dinner and enjoying a nice bottle of wine or having having a bottle of wine and consuming it at home, because it's a consumable, it's not going to stick around. So it is something that you need to experience in order to get the full effect of, of that item. And so I think that, you know, with the idea that experiences are better than things at this point, that wine is absolutely something that fits into that. Would you include social media as an experience in wine? Hmm. Because a lot of marketing nowadays is social media marketing. You, you're on your Facebook and a wine ad is popping up. Would you figure that's an experience they're trying to get out there? That's interesting. I haven't considered that before, but... It seems like they're, they're marketing towards yeah. that to become, this is this is trending. This is what we say you should drink. I, I personally mm. see the ads and I, I ignore them a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't know when you see a wine ad on Facebook that pops up, do you pay any attention to them? Or? Not usually. Um, but you know, we're in a different category than regular consumers because we are in the wine trade. But if you think of social media interaction as something that people have a lot of emotional attachment to, then I can absolutely see that that could be included in an experience. Well, I think like when we do tastings, I think that's an experience. Absolutely. But they've been doing these on Twitter, like People all log in and follow a hashtag, and they're tasting wines. Yeah, I would. I would consider comments. that. Yeah, so, absolutely. So I mean, that's that. I would. It's like it's more like experience. that's more like a virtual wine tasting. Yeah, and you've you know got other people that are involved. Sure, it's not just you doing it yourself. I mean, you might be alone when you do it, but you've got this interaction with other people. So yeah, that absolutely would be an. Experience. So would you say most of these experiences people wine consumers are looking for would be technical? No, no, no. I think a lot of them would be actual going out into the world and physically doing something. You know, we see this a lot with travel. Travel is, I think, one of the biggest things that people say, oh, you know, this is an experience that we're going to spend money on instead of buying a thing. And there are all these like fun activities that people will go out and do now, I think, to have an activity instead of a, a physical thing. Like we went as a family, we went glass blowing, So that's pretty cool. There are all these adventure park kind of places where you can go zip lining or you can climb trees and, and that kind of thing. So I think that the wine experience can be can be part of that for people and not that, not necessarily a zip line with wine you know well, what I to mean. that point we we tell people all the time visit a winery visit a local winery to get that right. experience meet the people how it's made look at the look at the grapes on the vine that type of thing so, and when yeah. you incorporate that in a trip and in your travel you you will never forget it that will be something that will stay in your mind as an experience that you had forever and i think that that's wonderful for people what was the next thing wine consumers care about that wine consumers care about convenience and i think that this is absolutely true. Maybe they do want to interact with someone in a retail setting. Maybe they don't. We can have that personalization, but a lot of people, I think, are looking for the convenience of um, of purchasing. Shopping of shopping, shopping convenience. Yeah, shopping convenience. Decision-making convenience. This is 
kind of where marketing, I think, comes into play a lot too. It's like making it easier for the consumer to make a decision on what they want to buy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's this is something as a retailer you can't you can't fight it. I mean, it, yeah. there's there's always a factor where it's just more convenient to to do online than going out and doing the shopping. We just hope that I guess through education and personalization to help people understand what they could be losing or what they can gain right. going each way. Well, I think that this is the difference between somebody who goes looking for a particular product and knows exactly what they want to buy and goes searching for that one thing and you can do a Google search or an Amazon search or, or whatever for that item. You find it, you buy it. As opposed to, I don't necessarily know what I'm looking for, especially in, in the realm of wine. Like you might know that you want a sparkling wine or you might know that you want white wine or that you want to try some rosés, but you don't have a particular one in mind. And that's when folks like ourselves come into play because that's the stuff that we really know and that we love and that we can really get people interested and excited in. I feel this is a huge generation thing. Oh. And at, at my age in the 50s, I think being in the 50 age range, I think is probably the cutoff of the generational. Like I remember as a kid, you, you went to the butcher for your meat. You went to the fish market for your fish. You went to the liquor store for your liquor. That wasn't, there was no convenience to do it any other way. But over the years, the generation kind of stuck to that. But now I think it's totally shifted. They don't know that. You know what I'm saying? They don't know that you you bought things at all different places. So yeah. that's how you shopped. Well, some of us still do that too, even. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, but that every year that number I feel is going more towards the convenience side mm-hmm. than the this is where you get this, this is where you get that because they didn't they weren't brought up that way. Right. And I mean that's that's totally true because we have fewer butcher shops, we have fewer you know specialty stores, and now it's more specialization as far as quality goes. Like if you want really really good meat then that's when you go to a butcher shop. But if you're just picking up, you know, regular everyday kind of stuff, then you go to the grocery store. The biggest thing I see that that people say about online versus going into an actual retailer is the actual touching, the personalization first, but then to actually be able to pick up a product and touch it, test it, you know, that type of thing. So, so why is you, that important to people when they're buying wine? Because well, you, you're just, you're I mean, a bottle the, is a bottle. Well, I I think they can look at the, the labels, maybe or feel the, the quality of the, mm, the bottle. The weight, weight of the maybe. bottle. Or, huh. I mean, but you can, I mean, you can see the labels online too, but you can't see if it's thin glass, thick glass, or how it's stored. You, you can go in a store and see that it's stored properly it's the right temperature you can buy it cold i don't True. know we fight against it but i mean it's, the, <laughs> it, it's a thing that it, it's a con- i mean convenience is a, a big thing you you want a bottle of wine i mean i just saw i think walmart now you can order and just go in that parking lot and wait and they'll bring it out they'll bring out the beer and wine to you Huh, so you don't even have to go in the store for that anymore, you know. So it's changing; they're making it more convenient to to get all the products to mm-hmm. you. And people are obviously responding to that offer of convenience by by taking these retailers up on that. What was? The and last then finally, one? the last one was an interest in sustainability, and we have definitely spoken about this before. And I have to say that from a pers- the perspective of where I am, we definitely do have guests and consumers who have voiced an opinion about things being more sustainable. You know, are you recycling? Are you composting? People don't want to use plastic cups anymore. They don't want to use plastic straws anymore. So I think that there is this movement that is behind a lot of uh, consumer purchases that is only going to grow stronger and stronger when it comes to uh, people putting their dollars behind what they believe in as far as sustainable products. Do you think the sustainability thing is increasing because more and more people are aware or caring about climate control? I think so. 
I think that that's a big part so of it. So they know the. I mean, a lot of these things, like we hear winemaking, they, they don't use capsules, say, on top of a bottle because they feel it's more sustainable. The, mm-hmm. the What are they saying? The environment, not the environment, but the no, resources. No, it definitely it, is The resources it takes yep. to make that capsule. Sure. And then that's what's one less thing to throw away that ends up in a landfill. I think that people are becoming more aware of we create a lot of junk and not everything. We can't sustain a society where everything is disposable. So I think that this is only going to increase as far as people's awareness and that this will continue to be a trend. Yeah, it has to be brought up more in the wine world that there are ways that things are more sustainable than you think that Mm -hmm. you can really help. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find more information about Kim on her website at vinitaswineworks.com. You can find more information about myself at franklinliquors.com, and you can follow us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. So we've been talking about things consumers care about, and in a related article, there was an article about Alexa and using, talking about wine using this technology, the Alexa technology. I think we talked in the past, Kim. Do you use the the Alexa or the Google? I don't. I'm so old fashioned. I do not have a smart house at all. I, I love them. I love them, and I've I know well, you're a techie, geeky guy. You yeah. love this stuff. You know, the problem is my family thinks they're listening to us, and. You they're know, probably not wrong. They're not going to get much. I mean, they're going to hear me <laughs> pop a bottle of wine. There's not much interesting going yeah, on in I your mean, house. <laughs> what, they're listening. Yeah, it is. It, it's just they have these things called skills that you can add to your Alexa for wine pairings and wine recommendations or wine terminology. So you can ask it. You know, tell me about this or when was this invented or something. Huh. And it's related to these wine apps. And I've used it a few times. There's so many of them, but I love asking the thing questions. Can it tell you how well a vintage is aging? You know, I never tried Ooh, that. We like... should do that as a show. We should put the Alexa in on the mic and just ask it Ask it questions. Yeah. I think we should do that. I we'll think that's a fantastic that a idea. I think we should take questions from all of you listeners, uh, what you want us to ask Alexa about wine. And we'll see We'll see if we agree yeah. with what Alexa says. I think we did mention in the past that if you ask Alexa to play The Wonderful World of Wine, it will play our last episode. Yay. So somehow the web picked us up and put us on Alexa. So <laughs> that's that's awesome. a good thing. So what was the, I'm trying to think, what was this article saying about, was it bad the technology? Um, no, it was, it, mo- really... it was more that it's kind of quirky and sort of extrapolating what could come next. So I kind of feel like this ties in with the individualization trend where we're that we're seeing in wine, where the point of this was that maybe at wine rooms or in tasting rooms at wineries in the future, instead of having somebody in the tasting room asking you about your opinions, they can do facial recognition software and search the web instantly about everything about you. So when they get onto your social media, they'll they'll see what you've posted about and what kind of foods you like. And maybe if you've posted about wine before and give you some personalized recommendations based on that. So it, it was a little tongue in cheek, I felt, but it kind of got me thinking like, okay, where will we go with technology? And and how far are we going to go with artificial intelligence where it can make these these leaps and these assumptions and, and really try to figure people out? Well, this is going opposite of the trend consumers said they were looking for in personalization because now we're saying you can walk in and talk to the machine and the machine's going to start getting things back. Yeah, but the machine is going to look at everything that you've ever posted on social media and figure out kind of who you are well, without even having to talk to you. That's really personal. I know. Right? That's like, 
didn't. That's I have nothing I mean. to hide from. They can ask me. <laughs> but it had me thinking about when you go to a stop and shop, they have the robot. I don't know. I forget what it's called. I haven't you actually, seen that? I have not physically seen the robot, but people post it's, like creepy pictures yeah, of the robot creepy. all over you're, the place. You're shopping and all of a sudden there's robots following you around talking to you. So I guess in the restaurant industry, Kim, can you see it where the Psalm is a, is a robot that comes to your table and says, you know, welcome the legal seafoods. I uh, hope not. It's going to put me out of a job if it does. Well, I mean, Psalms make good money. So if you could have, I mean, pretty much the, the, the list is going digital. So why not just have it interact with you, the list? As, as like an Alexa. So you say, it's on the table, I want red wine, and the thing says back, what would you like? Or what are you going to have for your meal? And then you just keep going in this conversation. Oh, I Next like the you know, personal element. But you don't get personality that way. See? So you're with you're with the trend, but they're, but they're saying <laughs> here, you know, we need more technology out there. I, I like the idea of some sort of kiosk in places where they don't put personnel to help you. Right. That's where I feel you like know? it fits in, like in a grocery store environment where you're not going to... It, the technology isn't replacing somebody's job because there was never a person in that store helping you pick out wine to begin with. So it would only be helpful to the consumer to have something there that could provide them with information. I, li- I like it. I like, I, I have <laughs> I'm a kiosk. I'm not surprised that, you do. You know, I have a kiosk that it tells you about products. And if someone asks me about a product I've never heard of, I can easily go to mm-hmm. it and find it. So it, it helps me, technology quick. But I mean, you can google things just as quick so oh good this is one of those that we can agree to disagree on yeah (laughs) for once for once You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We're your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com. More information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. So a, a great article that we found in Decanter Magazine that is very timely about how winemakers are dealing with heat waves. And we just came through a summer that was very, very hot in many places. And it is very difficult if you are growing wine grapes to deal with really high temperatures or not a lot of rain when you're expecting it and how winemakers and grape growers are adapting to some of the changes that we're seeing in the environment. Yeah, I like how they they talked about what they're doing but the big thing i think we should let our listeners know is why they're doing all this what right. is it what is the risk to wine when there's these huge heat wave or right. these heat changes i love that they started the article with that like okay if you have a typical vintage versus if you have a really really hot vintage and what are the ramifications of that in the final taste of the wine so one of the the major factors is that when you have too much heat it is bad for the acidity in the wine. It's bad for the acidity in the grapes. And wine needs acid. I know acid can be kind of a scary term, but we need that brightness. We need some of that tartness. We need those elements in a wine or else they're going to just sort of taste fat and flabby. I like to describe it to people like if you had lemonade without that tart kick that the lemon gives it. You just have sort of lemon flavored sugar water and, and that's not delicious to anybody. So wine really needs acidity. And if there's too much heat, then you just get sort of flabby fruit flavors and the grapes don't have any acid. Yeah. So the as the grape is developing, the sugar levels rise a certain way. But if the heat kicks in at the wrong time, it throws everything off, right. off whack. So you can have a lot of sugar in a grape because you have a lot of heat and a lot of sunshine, but you might not get full ripeness of that fruit. And I'm sure 
all of us have had, say, a peach that looks really enticing and, you know, smells nice and, and feels good, but then you take a bite out of it and it doesn't have any flavor and it doesn't have any acid and it's kind of, you know, mealy and not delicious. That is kind of what we get when we have grapes that are exposed to a lot of heat and a lot of sunshine, but too much of it. So they're really lacking in flavor, even though they have a lot of sugar. They were also talking, Kim, about, of course, because of the heat, the, the grapes physically burn. They yeah. get burned. Sunburn. There's grapes can sunburn and I don't think that a lot of people understand that that that's what happens when you have too much sunshine yeah and a lot of times if they're manually manually harvesting the grapes they just pick them all and put them in a batch the burnt ones are getting mixed in with with the regular ones they unless they have manually sorting them all out physically sorting them all out there's going to be some of these burnt grapes Mm. that are going to ruin basically the rest of the wine right and then you have uh, situations that you commonly find in areas that do have a lot of heat like we see this a lot in places like southern Italy, where the grapes literally start to turn to raisins on the vine. And if you pick those grapes and use those grapes for making wine, the resulting wine will taste almost a little bit like raisins or dates or other kinds of dried fruit. So excessive heat really does change the uh, the flavor profile of the final wine. So a lot of times you might buy a certain brand and one vintage tastes totally different than the other and you might look and they might have had a heat wave. Right. So it changes that style of the wine you're used to because they had to produce it differently mm-hmm. because of the, like we said, the low acidity or other factors. It loses yep. its aroma. It loses its chemical compounds. What other things were they talking about, Kim? There was one other thing they were talking about, uh, maybe just work, working conditions Working conditions, general. yeah. So the the human factor in that, you know, it's, it's really tough on the body when you're out there all day picking grapes and it's really, really hot. So they're, they've had to do picking at different times. Are, are you maybe picking at night or picking earlier in the morning? And then in the afternoon, everybody just sort of takes it off because it's just it's just too hot. So everybody gets a siesta because it's just not safe to be out there in, uh, in that crazy heat. Are you seeing more and more vineyards that are doing more early morning pickings? Is I've it, you think seen it's because that more in descriptions. Yeah, I've seen that more in descriptions. You know, people will um, put in their, their wine notes that they make an effort to to pick during cooler times. I don't necessarily feel like it's always done to the benefit of the workers. I think it's more that when you pick really early in the morning or at cooler times, then you've got better quality grapes that you're getting. And you can't just, if there's this heat wave or you can't just turn sprinklers on and, and no. keep them moist or anything like that because a lot of a lot of places, they don't allow it, number one. And, and second, most of the time, the, the vines want less water. To yeah, thrive, I don't think that so. really helps. However, there are a few activities that that vineyard uh, owners and grape growers can do to sort of combat this um, this sort of issue. So one of the big ones has to do with the canopy, so the leaves of the plant, and either leaving more leaves on the plant so that the the fruit will be shaded, right down to planting in different places so that you have less access to sunshine for that plant. Yeah, I like. We we recently had a seminar where we showed different types of leaves for the grapes. So it brought me a lot of information about why it would be important, especially if you have a grape that's growing these huge leaves, right? I mean, you cut them back, you're also saving more exposure. So on the leaves, I think I, I had a hard time understanding in the past, they're cutting the leaves off and there's a heat wave. To me, I was always thinking, all right, they're exposing the grapes more. 
to the sun, but it's more for vine health, correct? So different, re- yeah, do there be different reasons for why you would want to cut back your canopy? So I think in a lot of places where you don't, where you're trying to maximize the amount of sunlight that the grapes are getting, then you do cut back on the leaves because then those bunches of grapes get the sunshine. But this is sort of to do the reverse. But then you have to worry about the energy and the nutrients that the leaves are pulling away from the plant. So I think a lot of the time they do cut back the leaves in order to concentrate the sugars in the plant directly into the grapes instead of to the leaves. So there's this sort of balancing act between balancing out the amount of leaf coverage that you have and the amount of fruit that you have and then keeping those things in balance but also being aware of all these other factors that are going on. Thank you for joining us today and talking wine with us. Uh, We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. We would love your questions and comments. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. You can listen to our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. Cheers. Cheers.